Hello and welcome to the Chronic Living Podcast, your need-to-know source for living with a chronic illness or disability. I'm your host, Alex Pappas, and I'll be sharing my experiences living with a chronic illness, as well as inviting others on to share their stories. So join me in shining a light on the world that is chronic living. All right, guys, thank you for joining me for another episode. Today, I am joined by Kathleen, and she's going to share her experiences being part of the chronic community. Thank you for joining me. Hi, everyone. My name, like he said, is Kathleen, and I have several illnesses that I've been living with since I was 15. I am 36, almost 37 now, just to, you know, age myself. (laughs) And I think, (laughs) you're right. (laughs) I think that my, my road to chronic illness Um, discovery and uh, development over time has been really complicated and long. And so I'm excited to share a little bit about it. So when I was younger, I was very, very healthy, very healthy child, um, really didn't have anything that I had to go to the hospital for, maybe a couple broken bones, but that's about it. Nothing unusual. Yep. Same here. (laughs) Then... (laughs) Then when I got a little bit older, towards my teen years, um, I didn't start developing the way that I should. I was very short. I didn't get my period. And it was concerning for the doctor that I didn't seem to be growing like I should. So between my, you know, 15, 14 year old self being jealous of other girls (laughs) and self-conscious and the you know, doctor being a little concerned, we decided to go to an endocrinologist for testing. So they were looking to see why I wasn't growing, growing like I should. Um, I was 4'11", with size nine feet, uh, which is pretty large for a girl. (laughs) And so, you know, I had like the clown feet. (laughs) So so super short, but really big feet. Super short, but really big feet, yeah. Okay. So they decided to go send me for testing and they found out, oh, she has something called growth hormone deficiency. So I wasn't growing at a rate I should. And they decided to figure out why does she have this growth hormone deficiency? And they found out that I had a pineal cyst on in my brain. So the pineal cyst was fairly small, but the pineal cyst was pushing on part of my, my brain that had to do with transmitting um, adrenal functions. So when you think of adrenal functions, think of um, adrenaline. And it was limiting my capacity to make adrenaline. So when I was in stressful situations or sick, I my body wasn't able to keep up. Okay. So it was a combination of the growth hormone deficiency and the adrenal insufficiency is what they ended up calling it, or Addison's disease, that um, they they diagnosed at that time. And I feel like that was my first slide downhill as far as chronic illness goes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it felt like I was so well when I was younger. And then as soon as I get this, diagnosis for something yeah it's something that seems 
and it seemed so mundane. It was like, oh, I wasn't growing. I wasn't keeping up with the rest of the, the girls, you know, as far as, you know, development. And I didn't even think, oh, wait, there's like this extra layer of illness on top of it that really affects more than just my height. Yeah. <laughs> what do I do with this? Like you're short, but yeah, a whole bunch of but reasons why that cause this... a bunch of other stuff. Exactly. And so it was just kind of like jarring. What, what do I do now? What does this mean? So we went into the doctor and we talked about, you know, how to move forward. What do I do? So they said, well, you have to do a bunch of tests first to determine your levels. And now we're going to also talk about, you know, maintenance for this. So I go in, I do more tests. One of them was this test where they, I went in really early in the morning, just like any blood test where they would, you, you couldn't eat beforehand. Yeah. Fasting. Not a problem. Exactly. And we sat there and they dropped my blood sugar. Like they took my blood levels at baseline and then they did something where they dropped my blood sugar really quickly. And they warned me, they said, Hey, when you start not feeling well, just tell us very vague, like, <laughs> especially okay. for somebody who's like a teenager, or early teenager. Like, sounds easy hey, enough, right? Yeah. Okay. I can tell you whatever. And I'm sitting there and it's about 10 minutes and they're like, you feeling okay still? Do we need, we might need to give you more. And I'm like, yeah, I'm feeling fine. So they wait another few minutes and I start going, I know, I just kind of out of it. And they, they go, okay, let's, let's check your blood sugar. It was at nine. My blood sugar was at nine. They're like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so they, they give me a bunch of sugar tabs and pumping glucose. But that's what they were doing. They were trying to stress out my body by dropping my blood sugar. And they were trying to see how my adrenal glands would react to it. Would I produce adrenaline? I didn't, I didn't produce much. I, I produced some, wasn't terrible. There, there's definitely worse cases, but I did definitely didn't produce enough. And that was when they decided, okay, so you need to go on cortisone. Uh, so cortisone and prednisone are fairly similar uh, drugs. And if you <clears> know anything about them. Is it as nasty <laughs> as prednisone? Because prednisone is a nasty drug. Yes. Okay. Yes. I've been on plenty of prednisone. A, and this is a daily, fairly high dose that I would take. Plus I would have the injections for whenever I had a stressful situation. Now tell a teenager to take a medication whenever they have a stressful situation. Imagine how that goes. You're like- Getting like four uh -huh. shots a day. Yeah. <laughs> Can you be a little bit more specific? I really need to specify um, certain things here. Yeah. <clears throat> so they, they did end up clarifying because I would have these injections and I'm like, oh, I think I need it. I don't know. Like, how do I know when I feel okay? <laughs> They're like, okay, when you're really sick, like if you're vomiting or if you uh, even have a fever, if it's an illness kind of stress, then take it. Or if you're having some kind of like anxiety attack, take it then. If you have something that's like really jarring to you, like if you got, 
into a, a car accident or you know something really just life destroying yeah <laughs> comes well, along comes Take back a to shot. teenage teenage girl again teenage girl <laughs> yep <laughs> a lot of life destroying things at that age yes exactly mm. luckily i i got the hang of it after a while but these are big injections that you're giving yourself whenever you're stressed and so that I blew up like a balloon. My face got all puffy. Shots. And... Isn't that a thick yeah. shot too? I've, no. I've heard they're bad for, for some reason. They're is it just interesting. A big needle? <clears throat> they, they're not a big needle, so it's sub-Q. No. Um, okay. So just into the, yeah. <laughs> or at least these shots were. And so it wasn't too bad. But on top of this, I had to manage the growth hormone deficiency which also came with an extra layer of shots. So unlike anything self-injectable is a no-go for me. <laughs> I tried the Humera for a while and I was like, nope, this is not happening. Ooh. Yep. Oh yeah. Spring load. Oh, <laughs> they were spring loaded too. So it's just, it's, you're just waiting for it. The yeah. level of anxiety so... that would go along with those things for me. It was just like way up here. You just you just sit there and you're like, okay, building up the anxiety to just hit the button. And this is, I don't know what kind of weird torture device they decided to give me, but it was, it was not like the Humera where, you know, you have the twist dial, put it to your skin and hit the button. You drew up uh, the, the syringe, fairly yep. small syringe, and then put it in this like device. And so it added an extra layer of like somehow pinching your arm, putting this device flush to your skin, and then hitting the trigger to make it go in and then just plunging it. So it was really just an extra device so that you didn't have to like jab yourself. It was a device where you could just like hit it really quick. The level of anxiety is so high. <laughs> I did not love it. <laughs> okay, I feel like I'd rather just go straight syringe. Uh, yep. <laughs> that, that's that's the worst part with those things is the anticipation. Yep. <clears throat> Granted, I don't know if I could ever give myself a shot. Like, so I stopped using Humera. <laughs> Granted, when I was on Humera, it was a long time ago, and those spring-loaded things they were violent. Like they yeah. jabbed it in incredibly hard. Yep. Supposedly now they're a lot less violent. The springs are, I guess, I, lighter. I hope so. and, yeah, the, the, I, I've heard. I have no experience because I did it for like three months straight. It took me like two and a half hours to give myself a single shot. I'm like, nope, this oh, is not going to work. This is not going <laughs> to work. I'd rather go sit in an infusion every six weeks. Right? So. <laughs> so I had to learn how to do that myself. And then I was very lucky. I was still young and at home. So my parents helped me out quite a bit. Um One thing you realize when you're that young is sometimes you glaze over specifics. So where to give yourself a shot? Does it make that much and of a difference? It does. So there's the, for the thighs, a thigh is an option, a stomach is an option, an arm is an option. And they have very specific areas so that you could avoid blood vessels and nerves. And so there was one point where I wasn't paying 100% attention to where it was. And I was just like, wait, is it inner thigh or outer thigh? I've already done my arms. I've already done my stomach. It's time for me to move to a different area. And I just sat there for about half an hour going back and forth. Like, where do I inject myself? And I went the wrong way. So I went on the inner thigh. 
bad idea. And I went for fairly low. I think it was, yeah, low towards the knee. So that wasn't a good idea either. And it hit both a blood vessel and a nerve. Talk about the, the amount of pain was so much, so yeah, much that, pain coming that from That hurts this. just to listen to. Oh, oh, oh it was God. awful. And like the blood, you could see the blood pooling underneath you under my skin. And it was just, it took weeks to go away. And, you know, I had to do the compresses and everything. And my doctor was like, why, why did you do that? Like, I couldn't remember. Oh no. Yeah. I think Humera was top of your thigh, stomach or your butt. Yeah. So Uh, I would have loved to do you know, I'd be behind, but there was no way I was going to let my parents help me with that one. Right. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah. As a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at, at the time when I was using them, I was skin and bone. So I was like, well, oh, thigh or butt. I'm like, there's no yeah. fat on my stomach. Like that's going to go straight into muscle. If I do that, I'm like, nope, 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 nope. I had, you know, because of the prednisone, I had a good layer of chub. So it wasn't yep. too bad. Yep. Prednisone does that. What was the what yeah. was the highest that you're ever on with the prednisone? Oh boy. So uh 200 milligrams total a day. Ooh. Whoa. Damn. That was that was while I was pregnant. Damn. And <laughs> it was it was interesting. And what they have to do. Is it's a very high stress dose because you're going, your your body is changing, you're, you know, transitioning into labor, and then you get an infusion on top of it, and then you have to taper down. So you are, after giving birth, you're wide awake, you wanna, <laughs> and that is the last thing you want after giving was, birth. Highest I was ever on was a hundred. I thought a hundred was horrible because I I felt after eighty I started getting like some weird, super weird side effects because there's just so much of it. How hungry were you yeah, on I, 200 milligrams? Not very, honestly. Really? really? Yeah. I, when I was on 100, I was eating like five meals a day. It was stupid. <laughs> Just the, the constant munchies from it. So granted, that was I that was the actual tablet. Well, yeah. 80 was the tablets. Over 80 was always IV. I think the highest like tablet milligram per tablet was 20 milligrams. And I think I... I had the, the I 10 milligram three, ones. Yeah. Which when you're the on highest... 80 means you gotta take 80 of those or eight of those little things and oh they have gosh. the the best taste in the world. Oh gosh, they're so terrible. They're so bad. Oh I always had to take them I with just milk. Remember that taste. <laughs> milk well, is I am the only not a big milk fan. I'm not either. Ooh. And and the milk would coat them so I wouldn't taste them. I I <laughs> put a little bit of milk in, slap them on my tongue, and then finish off the a little bit of milk. Oh, so how are your bones? I know my bones are oh, horrible. So that's an interesting thing is they told me because I had the growth hormone deficiency, which made you age faster as well. Oh. So it did affect your bones. Sounds like a great thing to pair with prednisone. Oh. Yeah. And prednisone, I had to get DEXA scans. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard of a DEXA scan um, for yeah. our audience. A DEXA scan is basically just a, an x-ray of your bones to see if they are thinning over time. So mm-hmm. do you need to take something like a, a Boniva to help, you know, boost your bone density? 
uh, and they just want to make sure that it's not going to be to a point where you get osteoporosis, uh, you know, to the, the point where you're going to break a bone by just like hitting into something. Mm, yep. 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 I'd be there if Luckily, it was getting worse, I'd have osteoporosis, but it's kind of just bad. So yeah, <laughs> I am so sorry. It's, it's just it's not yeah. fun. It's, it's, it's part of being broken. <laughs> well, I guess my bones aren't great. Because yeah, I no, had no, no. a moment where I was into martial arts, really enjoyed. Mm. Mm. Sounds like a really bad enjoyed combo. Krav Maga. Sounds like a bad combo so, with bad bones. <laughs> right? Uh-huh. And the thing is, it was Krav Maga, so it was very contact. And it is the Israeli fighting martial art. I guess it's not technically a martial art, but it, you know, yeah. in that realm and so I was just doing a drill and I jumped over a rope I swear it had to be maybe four inches off the ground jumped over the rope landed my my bone just cracked just cracked right into spiral down shatter from jumping four inches off the ground that's bad and everybody looked around like wait wait, you're fine. There's no way you hurt yourself. You just jumped. Like you just probably tore a muscle or something. And yeah, I went to the hospital and yep, it was a bad break. But that's an example of, you know, years from medical condition that is not only chronic, but uh, autoimmune, uh, immune suppressives you're taking with the prednisone. Pretty much everything it's for colitis is immunosuppressive. <clears throat> so, how you know, thinking about it, how do you deal with life when you have all of these immunosuppressants and you know, constant worry about your bones breaking, you know, or or yeah, a stressful should... situation sending you to the hospital because that happens so many times for me. I. I got into a minor accident where somebody hit the back of my car. We were barely going any speed whatsoever. I think I was maybe going five miles an hour. So like it it turned into like a, a hit, hit, hit kind of thing. I was the first in the line and the person behind me hit me. And then another person hit me from, uh, hit them. So it was just like a chain. They hit you. They stopped and and the other person pushed them into you again. Yeah. I stopped. Yeah. So we got like double hits really no damage whatsoever to my car. And it was just one of those shaken up experiences. Like I was just stopped and I got hit twice. What's going on? So I go to work and I'm sitting there. And one of the things with this is my, I, all of the adrenaline that I had stored up in my body from, you know, just living life dumped when that happened. So like just like anybody else would when you have, yep, exactly. Feel like you're it just big dump. So, and so my body can't produce adrenaline after that. It takes a really long time to get back up and running. So it's one of those situations where I should have had my emergency dose of cortisone. Did I? Uh, no, you didn't. Yeah. Uh. No wasn't thinking and I got to work and I'm sitting there and I'm in a big meeting. I'm uh, a mid-level 
manager type person in a meeting and I'm just sitting there like trying to concentrate and not look like I'm struggling at all. As soon as the meeting is over, I'm there with my coworkers and I collapse. So I'm like, I am not feeling well. And I, I didn't completely pass out, but I was just, I knew that my body had had too much. And they both looked at me like, have you been feeling this way the entire time? I'm like, I am a master. When you have a chronic illness, you're a master of cro- covering up how you actually feel. We are great at suffering. Our bodies are great at it. We're great at it. And we will look completely normal yeah. while we're doing it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, I don't think people understand that we deal with these pains and these stresses and the symptoms of fatigue and, and so many other symptoms, depending on what your illness is, that we're just used to it. And if we don't put on that, that happy face, that facade of being okay we're always just gonna be in bed and not doing anything you know or so, people people give us crap because every single day we don't feel they, they yeah. can't fathom that every day we feel like this like oh it's exactly. one day you're having a bad day whatever well no i'm having like a bad life yes bad month, that is the thing i'm a having bad a year. bad life yeah like <clears throat> it's not a bad day a lot longer. I wish it was a bad day. I wish I was just sick for one day or even one week. I would take that over my chronic illness. Yep. Yep. Well, back to the diagnosis. So one of the other things was that I was told that I would not be able to have children or if I was able to have children, I would have to go through IVF, all that stuff. Now, as you said, you had to get since you were pregnant. Yes, so yes, I do have. Yes. Found a workaround around that. Boy. Yes. So that's good. So at a young age, and when you're, you know, a teenage girl who who dreams of, you know, having a husband and a, you know, a, a, a ch- bunch of children someday, that is a huge blow to you. And I, it's a huge blow for any woman who wants to have children. And so that was just one of those, those moments where like, where do I go now? What do I decide? Is this like a new path for my life. Yep. Yep. I've had a couple of people on where we've talked about that. Yeah. Between I, I had one lady that was on that was diagnosed with colitis and her first doctor told her she could never have kids. And it was completely wrong. So yeah. she was believing that for a while until she went to a new doctor. Had a couple of people on that had varying diagnoses to just make it so you can't have a kid. So mm-hmm. yep. Yep. It's always a fun thing. Yeah, that that was hard. But obviously, spoiler alert, I do have a child. <laughs> so found a workaround, so that's good. Yes. But that brings me into my next diagnosis. So within just a couple of years of taking these medications for growth hormone, which luckily they were only once a day injections compared to somebody else who might have tons of injections. I know once a day still seems intense, but, and then like my emergency meds for adrenal insufficiency. I get infusion bad. once every six weeks. That's, that's, that's as much, it's as many needles that go into my arm as, <laughs> as, as I'm good. And when I need to do blood work, but I have this amazing lady, Laverne, she's been doing blood draws for like 50 years now. She does it. Can't even feel it. I don't know how she oh, does that's it. Amazing. She's amazing at it, but she'll pull like 10 vials of blood out of you and 
just having a conversation. You don't even feel it. And I bet you're one of those people just like me who knows exactly where that vein that works is, right? See, I have like, I have really good veins. So I'm oh, just kind of like, jealous. Go, go wherever you want. <clears throat> um, yeah, no, that's the one good thing. Like if you give me a stress ball or something, like my veins pop out really easily. So I, I have no vein that they can access on one side. It's just, it's so deep and it rolls that Oof. I've had amazing phlebotomists try and they can't get it. And um, most of the time they can get one over here, but I have had them use the, I don't even know what it's called, but they shine a light yep, I've on seen your those arm. And they, they can see where it is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought that cool. was really cool. <laughs> I, I haven't ever like seen one in person, but I've seen some videos of it and it looks really cool, especially for people that have those harder veins to find. So. Yeah, they, for some reason, sometimes they don't like going into this particular vein that's in the, I don't know, what, what pit do you of your part? elbow. Yeah, pit of your your elbow <laughs> pit. Yeah. <laughs> um. So they they like to go down right a little bit hand. farther, and yeah. I've got nothing down here. I, I it looks like it. My veins bulge out, but they roll too much for anybody to get anything. So, anyway, what was I saying? I was talking about. Um, injections once a day injections yes so i had the growth hormone and that made me uh speed up catch up to height so you just um shut yeah up. i just shot up i'm now Stop. five six so okay. it's, um, yeah so i, I went from four eleven like... to five six yeah <laughs> i'm not super tall I mean, uh which is great i'm only five seven wow calling me short <laughs> <laughs> I think I looked it up recently. I'm the average height of a European woman. I'm actually a little tall for someone in the U.S. I don't know. Weird there fact. Go. There you go. <laughs> so I shot up, but it also, you know, sped up puberty. Fun. That, that doesn't sound fun. No. So within my second cycle, I already had stage four endometriosis. What's what's that? So. Endometriosis and is where on a podcast, I can't remember exactly what it is. <laughs> so um, when a woman has their period, you know, blood comes out, the, the endometrium, you know, you, you shed it once a month. Yep. However, for those with endometriosis, it goes, it backflows. So it goes out into your abdominal cavity. And these it's not ideal. No. And so these um, endometriums will stick to the different parts of your internal organs. And sometimes your body can deal with it, and, but sometimes it can't. Another thing that happens is you get cysts. And for me, I got something called chocolate cysts, which are big blood-filled cysts. And not fun. Those are extra painful. So my, my second cycle, I had so much pain and I was just writhing on the ground. I didn't know what to do. My parents didn't know what to do. I'd never had something like this happen where I was just in so much pain. We thought we had that I had appendicitis after a couple of hours of it not getting better. My parents brought me to the hospital where they, they didn't know what was going on. Uh, it, it was a small hospital that didn't have a lot of a lot of things <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly 
So they did admit me and they found out that a cyst had burst, one of the chocolate cysts had burst. So I had a lot of blood in my abdomen. And the doctor went in, uh, a special OB GYN doctor went in and did the surgery. And what they have to do is they have to burn off the endometrium inside your abdominal cavity. And one of the things that he told me about after was that my appendix was completely covered in endometrium. So just like little blood deposits all over. And he had only read about it in textbooks. So he was oddly excited for a doctor to be like, I was able to finally see this in person. <laughs> Not what I'm I want to like, hear. Yeah. So one of the things that they had me do to stop disease progression, which I'm not sure how much more progression it is from there. I don't understand the, the stages as much as I probably should, but they said it was really advanced, especially for only being your second cycle. And so they put me on birth control to manage, manage everything. Luckily it worked pretty well, but they put me on depo and that's an, an injection. I believe if I remember correctly, because I haven't had it in a while, it's every three months. How much of your medication was non-injection based? <laughs> I'll get to that eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like everything's just another injection. Ugh. Right. <laughs> How often was it? Every three months. Okay. One every three bad. months. Wasn't too bad. That's and that, that was bad. definitely in my my behind. Okay. Uh in the that you would go to the doctor for, right? Doctor for. So I didn't have to yeah. do it to myself, thank goodness. No, it's but compared to the once a daily. On top of the medication that I took for growth hormone deficiency and the cortisone, this one also did stuff to your bones. So it made it even harder to manage. So I did have to take a lot of extra vitamins. And luckily I never had to go on a medication for bone density, but it was managed quite well. So well, there yeah, was a time limit. When you're younger, you can get away with it with just yeah. extra supplements. But well, yeah, at your age now, it becomes more of a problem because I know guys, it's up, up until I think around 35 women, it's around 30-ish, your body start, yeah. stops to absorb it as well with just exactly. the supplements. Yep. And that's where the medications come in. So I got like seven years to fix my bones. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so that was another hard hit because that is a chronic illness that you have to live with. And they also said, no, you're going to have a hard time having babies with this on top of it. I'm like, I already don't even know if I have, can have children. And then this happens. So it, it's just, I give up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, geez, guys, thanks. Appreciate it. So these are the three illnesses I dealt with for quite a while. It was the growth hormone kind of tapered off as I was able to hit a certain height and development. I finally caught up. They did testing and they said, oh, great. It, it, you don't have to worry about taking injections or anything anymore. Around the time I was 20. So that was pretty nice. That's good. So that one dropped off and my adrenal insufficiency wasn't terrible, but it was still something that I had to manage daily. So I had to do those tests with the blood sugar dropping tests to 
uh, figure out my levels for many years. Thing is, I like to move a lot. So while I was started out in a, a very nice place of the country that had lots of great medical care, I, I know I said I lived in a rural area. However, I went to Dartmouth Hitchcock Medical Center on the East Mass, Coast, Massachusetts. Uh, in New right. Hampshire. New Hampshire. I used to live in Massachusetts. So I'm like Dartmouth. I'm like, that sounds familiar for some reason. <laughs> I think there is a Dartmouth mats, but yeah, yeah Dartmouth I think there is. is uh, <clears throat> yeah. Got it. Dartmouth okay. is a, uh, a pretty big medical center and they have some amazing doctors there. So I went from absolutely amazing care to jumping around from place to place to place to try to find another amazing doctor. And that is a hard thing to do when you have a chronic illness and you're moving from state to state and you're trying to get your medical records transferred, but you can only do that after you've established care with a new doctor. I don't think I have a good chunk of mine for moving so much. I'm 27 uh, and I've moved 22 times in my life. Holy goodness. Yep. So trust me, <laughs> I get that. Bad. Nope. But, I, I understand that one. <laughs> so I know for a while I had a folder that I, I got from Dartmouth and was able to bring with me. But that was after I figured out that I could do that at, you know, a young age, just kind of figuring things out for yourself. Uh, it's not one of those things I knew how to do or knew what, how to move forward with. So when you go to those doctor to doctor to doctors in different places, it sounds like, you know, this as well, you have to reprove that you're sick. Yep. I hate that. Absolutely no. hate that. Thankfully I'm broken enough. It's not too hard. My colitis, cause I have severe colitis. So it's like fairly easy colonoscopy fixes that one i i guess you know i hate doing the tests over and over again oh yeah it's just like i don't want to do this i already have this in my medical records you don't have to see it just look at my medical records i don't want to do the test again i'm pretty stubborn like that <laughs> man a lot of them suck yeah it's like i'm good like we know we know that what happens when you do this i'm good i don't yeah. want to do it again <clears throat> or the prep and form sucks in the case of a colonoscopy. The only colonoscopy good thing about that is sucks. the anesthetics, that little like two hour nap you get. Oh, if they use the real anesthetics with an anesthesiologist, that nap is phenomenal. It is. It's such a restful sleep. <laughs> yep. You're just out and you wake up. You're like, wow, I can only sleep like that every night. Like, damn. <laughs> right. <laughs> So I bounced around from doctor to doctor to doctor, and I started developing some interesting symptoms here and there that would come and they would go. One of the things for me was that I would have, um, I don't feel too bad discussing this with you on this podcast, but I would have alternating diarrhea and constipation. Constant. Those are fun. Like. Yeah. <clears throat> Those are fun. Well, and I mean, in general, the diarrhea can lead to constipation because you can become dehydrated from the diarrhea. Yep. And if you're not hydrated enough, you can get constipated. So yeah, it's, yep. it's a common thing with colitis. Um, or if I get a fever, the first thing I go to is probably dehydration. Like I'll get tons of fevers mm -hmm. and I'm not sick. It's because I'm dehydrated. Um, yeah. Just because you don't keep as much water in your body as most normal people do so it can it can happen a lot quicker especially if you're having yeah those off days where you're going to the bathroom a lot more mm -hmm. so all your hydration going right out the window exactly um and when you're not a you're not a big drinker like you don't like water in general 
um, or even just like fluids. <laughs> You'll <water>. learn. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely learn. But I would go to the, the doctor quite a bit. I had several colonoscopies, um, a couple Those are of fun. Yeah. They're, they're like, oh, such a, <laughs> such a young age to have a colonoscopy. I'm like, yeah, what's new? Nope. <laughs> it's not that bad. <laughs> this was in my early 20s. And they never really diagnosed me without anything from that. They said, you know, everything looks clear. You don't really have any polyps. I don't really know what's going on. Like they gave me bental because it was, you know, something that I would have quite a bit um, to stop the diarrhea. Doesn't surprised they didn't. Yeah. Was it IBS at all? Because I know, I know there's there's quite a lot of things with the digestive tract, and those ones that yeah. you usually can't track down, they usually lump into irritable bowel syndrome. We have I'll, a lot I'll of the get side to effects. What it is. <laughs> <laughs> I promise. There's a story behind this. <laughs> okay. So there's, there's so they, more they, fun they, past the colonoscopy. Yeah. Oh okay. gosh, there's so much more. So oh I <laughs> I had a lot of testing that went through and then they, they mm. never really found anything and they just said manage your symptoms. Here, take some fiber and you know, things things will work themselves out. You just need more fiber in your diet. No, that was not the case. And after years and years of this, we did end up finding out why I have a motility issue. And that has to, it stems from my stomach. Okay. So my stomach, the vagus nerve doesn't work. The vagus nerve is what pushes food out of your stomach, contracts. It doesn't work. And then the whole rest of my symptoms system is extra slow because of that. It doesn't have a lot of moat. It doesn't push things through the way it should. Yep. So we ended up on. finding out <clears throat> 10 years later. So it was 10 years without figuring out what was going on. I was, that was rough. <laughs> well, it sounds horrible. Yeah. And there had been a lot of other things in there. I actually lost my vision for a while, which was really fun. So it tied to anything specific? Yeah, vitamin B12. Hmm. Yep. I was talking to somebody that had this Crohn's <clears throat> and one of her symptoms when her Crohn's would flare up, she would actually temporarily lose her vision. So for like the day or two, she just couldn't see or it'd be super, super blurry, which it was interesting that that was tied so directly to the digestive tract. So so it's not the first time I've heard that slightly different you know, reason but yeah it, it kind of is for me because I do lose a lot of uh, vitamins and minerals through lack of know. absorption exactly mm -hmm. so what ended up happening with losing my vision for a year it was progressive so it started with like kind of like a black halo on the outside and then it would just like slowly close in towards the end of figuring out what was wrong I had just had pinpricks of light that I could see, and it was terrifying. And I had to go through so much testing. It was scary. So they sent me from ophthalmologists to, you know, doctors and different things. I ended up finding a neuro ophthalmologist who's very specialized in Philadelphia. And we did a, a series of testing and the doctor goes, you know, this doesn't make any sense why you're vision is going because you're it, everything looks right 
However, there is like this like little indicator here that I'm just curious on. This doesn't happen very often. It's very rare. Let me check your blood work. You would have thought somebody would check my blood work before now, but no. I get B12, I guess, isn't one of those things that they check with like a CBC and you know general blood work. So they checked the B12 levels and it was very low. It was in the 80s, I believe, if I remember correctly, which is supposed to be well over five or 600. So yeah, it's very low. And they're like, oh, well, we figured it out. Took a couple of injections, my vision came right back. That's fine, mm. perfectly fine. <laughs> and so, you know, the, I've had a bunch of weird random things like that happen to me over time. Like I had seizures for a while. I had seizures because I went on Topamax for migraines because I, I also have chronic migraines. Yay. <laughs> oh, that's a fun one. Yeah. I, I actually found, figured this out from a young age. I thought, I thought headaches were a daily thing and I just live with it. I didn't, I didn't know you live without a headache. What? How's, I, how's I guess, yeah, I guess if it's your normal, you don't think anything yeah. different of it. Yeah. And so I remember looking back at journals when I st first started to learn how to write in like second, third grade. And every day it would say, I have a headache today. That would be my entry. I was like, wow, I really have had these for a long time. And it never really dawned on me that it was a problem. And until my like mid twenties, when a doctor finally said, this isn't normal. <laughs> I was like, oh, really? <laughs> Oh. They said, no, you're having migraines every day. Let's figure this out because this is chronic and this is bad and you should be able to live a normal life without having to, you know, go through this. So they get started me on Topamax, which has a lot of weird side effects. I personally don't recommend it just because of what happened to me. The side effects are not fun. Um, I had this one side effect that was really interesting. I called it room swallowing or it felt like you know, Alice in Wonderland where like heads get really big and the, like the weird new Vogue version. That's what it felt like. It felt like everything went, like I went really big and everything else went really small. And I had this really weird urge to try to eat everything. Just like open my mouth and swallow it. It was the weirdest mess with your brain I've ever had. <laughs> It's like I was constantly tripping, you know? It sounds like recreational drugs. Right. <laughs> but this and prescription, it just, so it's okay. Yeah. And it just got worse and weirder things would happen with tingling. And um, mm. at that point, uh, a lot of weight loss, which I was still chubby at that time from the prednisone. So, so I was okay with. Out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so chronic headaches, yes. I think they give you yep. essentially a recreational drug. <laughs> yes. That's worse than weed yep and Cause, then cause I cannabis started having... does really well with like headaches and stuff headaches yes. seizures there's a lot of things that that like just the oil capsules with thc and it help yep. with so talk to some people that I... are in states that allow that i'm lucky enough to live in washington where it's legal here there you go so, lucky me yep <laughs> <clears throat> um so i went through this and i started having seizures and so topamax is also a seizure medication so they just were like, okay, let's up the dose. So it was causing it. And but they didn't know this. This is like an extremely rare thing <clears throat> that they had to report. It was, it was weird. So for a long time, I just ended up having seizure after seizure after seizure all day, every day is what it felt like. And 
it was it was terrible. I, I had moments where I would like, I remember vividly dropping a glass and then waking up to a friend and I was just covered in blood because I had had a seizure on top of a broken glass. I had to have my brother-in-law who is amazing come stay with me while my husband had to go out of town. It was, it, I couldn't be left alone. <laughs> And so they're trying to figure out what's going on. And eventually I was like, I'm sick of this. So sick of all of the, the seizures, so sick of you treating something and it's not working. And I just stopped the medication, which is not a great thing to do, especially no. when you're on a high dose that you, requires titration. With, However, especially with the withdrawal symptoms, there's a oh, lot yeah. of them. But my <clears> seizures <throat> went away. They went away after I got off the medication. And they're like, this doesn't make any sense. So they did some research and they're like, oh, we have to report this. This counts as a, a, you know, a side effect. And, you know, it's very rare, but it does happen. So you can't be on this medication. I'm like, okay, I'll go back to having migraines because this is miserable. <laughs> don't have to tell me that one twice. <laughs> yeah. Like you didn't even tell me and I stopped. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> so Migraines counts as one of my chronic illnesses. I, I now treat them with Botox injections, which um, is fantastic. This is also an every three month injection thing. And if you don't like needles, I guess I do still do needles. Uh, if you don't do needles, <laughs> don't do it. There are, I think 25, I get 32 injections in my um, between my shoulders and on top of my head every three months. And they're just like tiny little bits of Botox that help kind of deaden the nerve signals that cause my migraines. It's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I, I get very few migraines now and I will take the pain of these weird injections. That's over, <laughs> over the well, migraine yeah, yeah the temporary like was take like 30 minutes oh yeah if that yeah if that there's nothing yeah. compared to a migraine all the time and i actually have a friend a, a co-worker actually who also has chronic migraines and she started getting the botox injections because i i talked about how well it worked for me this girl i'm so jealous of her she doesn't ever have a problem with it like she's like it doesn't even hurt i hate I, i'm so jealous because for me I go in the third month, I start to feel like I'm starting to get migraines again. Mm -hmm. And when they do some of the injections, it feels like uh, rice krispies in my head as they're putting it in. It's like a snap crackle pop in my head. Oof. And it is the weirdest feeling. Oh, and I don't like it. It sounds weird. <laughs> yeah. And nope. sometimes like they'll hit a spot that will bleed and bruise. Um, I actually ended up having oh what is it called the face drooping the bell's palsy and it was real it was within a couple of weeks of having one of those injections so they thought that it was from the botox but it wasn't so like yeah oh being that yeah. you're in one of those states that allows it have you ever <laughs> thought about like the the thc cbd just the, the little oil capsules so i have them i okay. have used them before not that great i don't love them okay no uh they i don't know if i've taken too high of a dose or what uh but i i just don't like i don't like the feeling of it yeah, and i don't it depends also, on the 
the ratio. So I, yeah. I looked into it a lot because it's an it's an option for Crohn's and colitis in the states that allow it. Um, <clears throat> and I've seen that where there's like the eight to ten parts of CBD to one part THC, where yeah. it doesn't affect you at all. It's not a high enough dosage of the THC where you get high off of it. And a lot yeah. of people use that for their daily dosages as a maintainer. And then if they start to have a flare up, they go like four parts to one part, which will mm. technically get you high, but they take it over nighttime. So they kind of take it, sleep it off. And then daytime, they go back to the daily dosage so they can still do things. So, so I can definitely understand that. I don't, I can't use it where I'm at. <clears throat> I would like it to be federally, federally legalized. So I could use it as an option because my infusion is ungodly expensive. Um, so it'd be I great. Think compared to those infusion costs, it's probably less expensive, but I, I would say when you're trying to figure out what works for you, still not cheap. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> trying to yeah. figure out. That's so. fair. Yeah. My, my infusions are like eight grand every six weeks. So yeah, it's definitely not that much. <laughs> yeah. Colitis, colitis and Crohn's. I think they're like the third most expensive chronic illness in the U S the uh, average cost mm -hmm. As of 2015, it was $8,000 to $13,000 a year out of pocket with insurance. That's so expensive. Our medical yep. system. Oh, my goodness. Yep. And I've seen the, the Remicade that I'm on. Um, I've seen it all the way up to $25,000 a dosage, depending on where you are and depending if you're going to at a hospital or you're at your uh, doctor's office. Wow. So twenty five grand every two months. I, I am lucky. So my just my Botox is a little over 5,000 every three months. So that's not too bad, but it is very covered by insurance. I have, yeah. I work for the government. <laughs> yep, yep. I, I have, well, I don't have a cushy job. <laughs> I definitely have one with good benefits. Yeah. And no, I get um, that. I have a government job and it's pay is not amazing. Benefits no. on point. Spot on. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> so. so how many chronic illnesses is that now? Five? Four or five? Four or five? Four or five yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Stopped counting. <laughs> Depends on which ones you call chronic and which ones you call weird runoffs. <laughs> Just... So as you know, that I mentioned that I, I did have a child and turns out that I did not need IVF and I was very fortunate to be able to go off of the depot shot and within a couple of months I was pregnant and I didn't have too many symptoms of the endometriosis in between. So that was fantastic. And the, the worst part of that was um, having the increased prednisone and extra cortisone injections during that time. Yep. Where, so when you're already <clears throat> pregnant and blowing up like a balloon, the last thing you want is to continue blowing up like a balloon. So I looked like some kind of thing from Willy Wonka. <laughs> Vi I think it was Violet where she blew yep. up like a yeah. big blueberry. <laughs> yep. I was big and puffy. Yep. But the, that moon the awesome face thing, face puffs up. <laughs> the awesome thing, which other women are going to be super jealous of is right after I gave birth, I was up and running around. There was no keeping me down. You know, being on that, I was just like extra energy. Pregnant. <laughs> High dosages yeah. of prednisone, they do that. It's it's like legal cocaine. It's stupid. <laughs> the amount of energy that you get, like especially the high dosages, you're just wired all the time. 
It's like, go, 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 go. <laughs> Which I think is why I ate so, so much, but it definitely still packed on weight yep. anyway. Eating like five full Well, that's a good a thing because you said you were skin and bones, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was down to 105.57. So I went, yeah, I went so from low. around 160 to 105 in three weeks. And then I went back three the weeks. other direction. Yeah, yeah. Man, I thought I'd lost weight quickly. That is crazy. <laughs> yeah, so that was when I was in a full flare-up, which for me covers about 90% of my large intestine. So wow. literally for like three weeks straight, my body was absorbing zero food. It was it, it was absorbing nothing because it's so much of my intestine was covered in ulcers. There wasn't air to absorb anything. So my body was just eating itself for three weeks. So I went through fat, muscle, and then started doing um, organs. Oh, so, man. Did, were you <clears throat> hospitalized with nutrition after that? Like, how did they so, help? Yeah. So the first time I went to the hospital, um, I had minor organ failure, most of my organs, which is fun. Um, but yeah, they, they take you off of a solid diet and they put you on like an IV diet, which is weird because the IV bags that they have all the nutrients in, they're like this milk color. Um, but it smells like wet cat food because you know how they have to kind of clear the, clear the tube of air when they put in the IV in. And yeah, that little bit of liquid that came out, it smells like wet cat, food, like canned cat food. And it was the grossest thing ever. So I was like, that's going into my arm. I'm like, awesome. Yeah, it's like this thick, milky <clears throat> substance yep. going into your vein. They're like, what? <laughs> and it smells. That doesn't horrible. make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> but I was on that for a couple of weeks. And then the last week I was in the hospital because I was there for almost three weeks was like noodles and jello. Mm, like, here's some fun. pasta and you can have some <laughs> jello and like some super steamed vegetables that were pretty much mush. Um, <clears throat> yeah yeah and then, then the week after I got out like I had to um slowly build up to it like real food again how so, fun yep. <clears throat> yep you're in there um, and it's just like two weeks straight of no food it, it's weird it's really weird because one you know I was starting to get some weight back because it's IV based food essentially but it's just weird not to eat and not be hungry mm -hmm. like it's super yeah. weird you're just like this doesn't make any sense at all nope. and I'm like why am I still not. going to the bathroom like there's no food going in like, what? I don't understand what so <clears throat> yeah, yeah it's one thing I learned is apparently you still shed shed something so you can still go to the bathroom even though you're not eating. You're like, what? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it didn't make any sense whatsoever. Like, <laughs> I'm whatever. not eating. How's this working? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I, I've learned that recently. <laughs> so. So I I had my son. I had a really weird birth experience because I ended up, I was really worried because of my adrenal insufficiency and the fact that they were monitoring me. So anything that weird happened, I went to the hospital and I was one of those panicky mothers to be. <laughs> yep. And so one of the times I went, I was very close <clears throat> to my due date. Um, and I said, you know, I don't feel right. I just want to check this out. And, you know, they, they checked it out. They said, you're not in labor. You're fine. Go home. Don't worry about it. This was pretty late at night. And I was to the point where, you know, my feet were so swollen that I couldn't get into shoes. So I was wearing flip-flops and, you know, waddling around because I'm full of so much fluid. <laughs> the child. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
and I get off the elevator and my flip-flop gets stuck in the hole where the doors open and I fell and I had just enough time to kind of twist my body so I didn't go full on into my stomach, but I hit my, the side of my stomach. And, you know, you fall in a hospital and, you know, you're immediately upon, uh, like everybody's on you, except when it's at uh, nighttime <laughs> and nobody's around. <laughs> and so my husband's like scrambling to try to find something, somebody after you get somebody, then, you know, everybody's there. But yeah, I go up and the doctor made a joke. He goes, I know you want this baby out, but people have tried this before. And, you know, <laughs> falling on your stomach is not going to get you to have your baby today. <laughs> Little did he know that my placenta ripped away. And so I was in tons of pain and the baby started to uh, be in distress. So they had to induce labor at that time. And uh, very quickly, just because, you know, I come from a family of that gives birth very quickly. I did have a baby, but I was also hopped up on a lot of medications because of the pain. So I didn't feel anything. Right. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's worth it. <laughs> and then yeah, I was wide bad. awake. <clears throat> it was, I had him two minutes before midnight because I really, I kept focusing on the clock thinking, all right, they told me I'll have to stay an extra day in the hospital if I if I give birth after midnight. So I'm going to get him out before midnight. And I did it 1158 at night. Yes. Motivation. <laughs> yes. I'm like, no, so, I'm not staying here for another day. Exactly. And I must say that uh, even though I was paranoid through that time, that was the healthiest I ever have been. While That's being good. pregnant, I didn't have any endometriosis <clears throat> symptoms. And with the immense amount of uh, steroids, <laughs> I didn't have any adrenal issues i had been off of the um had been off of the growth hormone stuff for years at that point so and did yeah that, everything was pretty good did the medication or anything affect him at all like nope nope he's good okay luckily they, they did monitor him very heavily <clears throat> he he wasn't extra chunky either luckily okay. yeah, <laughs> yeah i wasn't sure the baby. prednisone would affect especially the high dosage uh, like yeah, they did monitor it. They said that I did have the concern that I would have an extra large baby uh, that it would absorb, but it did not for him because my body took it all first Yeah, well, because it needed it. Yeah. So I was very lucky. They, they did a great job between my OB and my endocrinologist to, to monitor that and get the right dose. Good. So very lucky. <laughs> now we fast forward just, just about two years. And I had been feeling, you know, I still had those bowel issues, but it wasn't too bad. Um, I, and then I ended up having really weird symptoms with having extra bleeding and nausea and vomiting, and I wasn't able to eat very much. So what did I do? I go to the OB <laughs> and they're like, I think you have cancer. I'm like, great. That's a, a fun word when your doctor throws out. Like, yeah, and, and it wasn't even like based on too much empirical evidence either. Like you couldn't say something else and just yeah, tell me I not, need to get a test for it and then yeah, tell me. Exactly. You're just going to throw that out there. So they're like, we, we think you have cervical cancer. So they go through all the testing for that, um, scans and scrapings and all that good stuff. Stress you out so you can get some more injections. Yep. And no, 
it, it was nothing to do. I just happened to have my body freaked out a little bit because something else was going on. And so I was bleeding a lot and had lots of pain. So what actually happened is I finally figured out that, or they finally figured out that my stomach had just kind of given up at that time. So the stomach muscle from okay, the done. nerve just stopped working. And since I have so many autoimmune issues anyway, and I'm on all of these medications, it basically, basically my immune system attacked my stomach, the muscle in my stomach. And so I was no longer able to digest food. So lucky me, I had something called gastroparesis. A gastroparesis is, you know, in, in combination with the motility issues, it, it just, all the food sits there in your stomach and it doesn't really empty out except by gravity. So it is miserable <laughs> because as you said, it is weird to not have to be eat, not eat and for several days. <laughs> yep. Mine went for several months without eating. Ooh. And yeah, barely able to tolerate liquids. And as I had mentioned, I was pretty chubby before that. I ended up losing. Not afterwards. <laughs> I, I didn't <clears throat> lose the weight as much as you, but I did end up losing a pound a day, which is still pretty it's drastic. still a lot over a couple months. Yep. And they, they still, they didn't really know why it was happening, but I was eventually diagnosed with that. So what happened with the diagnosis is I got sent to a GI doctor and that GI doctor first sent me for an endoscopy. And for anybody who doesn't to, know, they don't want to do it where they met in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> I've had those where it's an endo and a colonoscopy oh, where they just meet in the middle. <laughs> that, that sounds fun. <laughs> so, I mean, I was knocked out for it. So yeah, exactly. That's my rule. I'm like, mm -mm, we're not doing anything unless I'm not out for it. I, I was obviously knocked out and they, they did the endoscopy. And I, at that point, I was able to tolerate a little bit of food. Like I would pick at things. One of my big things that I like to, to pick at was popcorn. I still love popcorn. Um, Which is a really bad thing to pick at because it's calorie density is like super, uh -huh. super low. So it fills you uh -huh. up incredibly uh -huh. fast without any sort of calories. Yeah, It's a good snack and if you're trying to lose weight. Right. However, <laughs> you're on the flip side trying to gain it. Yeah. Yep. And so, like I said, I was like, water wasn't even great for me at this point. It was just, it, I was miserable. So, you know, whatever I could put in my body, I would put in my body. And so they, it had been three days at least since I had eaten or really had anything to drink when I did the endoscopy. And I go in and I remember very vividly waking up to these nurses talking about this person that had wasn't able to finish their endoscopy um they had food left in their stomach and you know it was a, a something that would never be cured they would have to live with this forever and they were really like felt really bad about them and they explained what it was and so Thank i'm like oh, i'm laying there and i'm like oh my god this poor person that sucks I, and they come in and they kind of start explaining what happened to me. And I guess I didn't really piece them together. Just, you know, you're still in that twilight sleep, but I remember that conversation and I just, I guess I wasn't ready to piece the two together. 
until the doctor came in and started explaining it. And I'm like, oh my God, this is me. And he said, I can't officially diagnose you with this, but this is 99% sure this is what this is because the diagnosis from an endoscopy is not how they, they use it. They need a, something called a gastric emptying study study. And that is where you sit for four hours after eating radioactive egg to determine how much your body actually processes the food, like how quickly your stomach contracts and empties out the food. I don't think I've ever done that one. Oh, you don't want to. So, <laughs> you know, when you're eating any radioactive material, you have to be kind of in an enclosed area. I makes mean, sense. Tons of experience with that. Yeah. You know, when but, they come to you all gloved and up and masked up and just kind of shove it at you, <laughs> eat this. And, and they want you to eat that. That sounds. Yeah. Horrible. And you're already nauseous and vomiting. And Let's I guess put this... some radioactive material in there too. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, you better hold this down. They, <clears> they, luckily they gave me Zofran, uh, which is a something that stops you from being nauseous and throwing up and yep. so I was able to keep it down which is was a big win for me and then what they do is after I think 30 minutes one hour two hours and then four hours they take a image of your stomach via an x-ray super high tech right <laughs> and they figure out from that image how much you've digested over that period of time. Like what's the process in your digestion? Now, a normal person would have 10% remaining or less in your stomach after four hours. I had almost 80%, 79% to be exact, remaining in my stomach after four hours. And they said that for my age, it was the worst case they had ever seen. And this radioactive like, oh. things in there cooking your stomach. Yeah, thanks. That's okay. great. So it's great to hear. So does your body just process the radioactiveness, or does it is it supposed to go through you, and you're supposed to just? I guess it just went through. <laughs> oh, or it's just still in there, and you're just still radioactive. It's still in there. Yeah, I am. Just don't I'm fly someday. Yeah, just just don't <laughs> fly. You might get pulled into another room for like two days. Right. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, so they diagnosed me with that. And then there's lots of different things for you to try. However, nothing cures the illness, disease, whatever you want to call it. It's chronic for the rest of your life. So for me, we tried lots of different things, including things that aren't technically FDA approved. <laughs> um, and fun. at this point, you can't <clears throat> even get them in the US. So I, I was lucky enough to try it and it to work for a little bit. However, one of them, so that was called Domperidone and that was like a compounded medication and it worked for a couple of months and then stopped working along with everything else they tried, including erythromycin, which is an antibiotic. And I had, you take a really high dose of erythromycin and it's supposed to help you digest food. It, it worked for a very short amount of time. And I remember my husband going and we were both pharmacy techs at this time. He went to the pharmacy and, you know, it was a, a friend of ours and they knew that I was going through all these testing issues and, you know, trying to figure out what was wrong with me. And they looked at my husband and said, is Kathleen dying? 
because the, the dose was so high <laughs> and he was like no 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 they're they're trying to they're trying to fix her <laughs> She's, but a little, like a little also, faster than normal yeah, but no yeah. i don't think so <laughs> also kind of dying because i wasn't able to you know eat anything <laughs> So at that point, um, we went through absolutely everything that we could think of as far as medications to help work. And it would work for a little bit, and then I would fail on it. And so we tried lots of combinations, and eventually it just, nothing worked. Uh, the last two resorts were something called a gastric pacemaker or a gastric stimulator. And just like it sounds with the pacemaker. It would, it's a device that goes around your stomach and shocks your stomach into contracting. It has a very low success rate. Oh, well, it sounds like a good idea. Yeah. However, and so you're like, do I want, do I want to do this for a low success rate? Like everything else I failed on, I, I'm not sure I want to. And all of the doctors were that, that I had ended up seeing over time were like, no, this is just not a great idea for you especially for your type of gastroparesis, it's not going to work. I was kind of a relapsing, remitting patient. So there was a amounts of time where I could just eat anything I wanted to, which was fantastic because I love food. <laughs> um, but there were also significant amounts of time where water wasn't even tolerable. And so I, for a long time, I would have to keep my wardrobe stocked with like several different size ranges of clothes because i never knew what i was going to fit into oh, that week <laughs> you're I like understand. oh okay. well, maybe, maybe not for the weekly basis but i understand <laughs> that having clothes yeah. from pre and post what do i fit into yep <laughs> so i was lucky enough to sort of control it after a while with um just diet and basically it's not what you ex expect for for somebody uh, to, for a healthy diet of someone. So for me, for them, it's no fiber. So all of that fiber that they had me taking for my issues, they're like, that just made it worse. Yep. So no fiber that includes not having any like raw vegetables, lots of raw fruits I couldn't eat. Yep. I love steak, couldn't have steak anymore. And then I had to be pretty limited on sugars as well. Uh, I try to live at this point a fairly sugar-free life. So that's actually really fantastic because I prefer the sugar-free taste, <laughs> which is weird, I know. Um, and that created a weird point for me because I still wanted to test my limits. So one of the things I really, really love or loved at that time before I went sugar-free was Oreos. <laughs> that was my weakness. So I was like, oh, I'm having a good day. And I would chomp down on a bunch of Oreos. And I would be like, it's so worth it because I got to enjoy those Oreos. And now, even though I can't eat now for at least another week, so I would not be able to eat anything for a week, but I oh, ate boy. those Oreos and I was happy. <laughs> <clears throat> yep. I was it's, lucky. That's, that's one of the things with the digestive diseases is, you know, you're not supposed to eat certain yep. things and they cause problems, but it's like, oh my God. Like you lose so many things that you can eat. Yep. You don't want to restrict the few things that work. Yep. It's elemental to life. You know, it's not like some of the other things where you can just cut it out, like smoking or yeah. alcohol, something like that. 
it's something you actually physically need to live. <laughs> yep. And so like, how do you just like stop yourself from eating? You, you don't, you have to eat. And then you're tempted all of the time because food is there yep. to, to eat those things that you wish you could have. And you're right. You lose so much. It's like, let me just have this moment of happiness and then I will suffer for it. And I know I'll suffer for it, but it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it goes back to that, like the average healthy diet does not work. Right. Like there's nothing logical. Like with, with colitis, for example, there's, there's a lot of things like spicy food. I can't do raw vegetables, mm -hmm. um, too much, too much red meats. I can do, if it's ground beef, I can do it. Cause it's already like yeah. pre pre ground pretty much. Yeah. Um, I seafood easily. goes through you pretty quickly. Cause it's a, it's a very light thing. Um, and if I have like two full-size carrots a day for a week, that causes more damage than if I go to McDonald's every day for a week. Yep. Because a lot of people don't realize like fast food is already processed. So yep. your digestive tract, as bad as the food is for you nutrition wise, your digestive tract actually has a fairly easy time breaking it down for the most part, Yep. which is really dumb. Yep. Like if I want to go to Chipotle so and get, get like a burrito bowl, that does way more damage than if I go get like a Big Mac. And it's incredibly Absolutely. annoying. Well, and they're like, wait, I don't understand. <laughs> and um, for me, I am extra sensitive to fats as well. Yeah. Um, so for some people, I yeah. can kind of, yeah. <laughs> well, yours is more, so, yours is higher up with your stomach. So that makes sense that things are a little yes. more, a little more sensitive. It makes for some interesting issues with your stomach as well, because when everything just sits there in your stomach and doesn't digest, Again, you're not hungry because it's full yep. or, and then you're nauseous because it's so full. Yep. And then, um, me, I didn't have a lot of vomiting. A lot of, uh, GP patients, they vomit multiple times a day. Um, it just, nothing will sit there. Their stomach won't tolerate anything sitting in their stomach at all. So they'll eat. And then even sometimes 15 minutes later, sometimes a couple hours later, they vomit it up. It's not fun. I am lucky enough not to have that issue. Uh, I'm just extra nauseous all the time. So yeah. <laughs> Super fun. One of the one of the issues though is that you can get something called a bezoar, which luckily I've never had. Uh, so I think people think of bezoars when they think of people that uh, eat their hair, um, mm -hmm. which is a I believe a neurological issue. Um, and so with this is like if you have a lot of fiber and you're not paying attention to what you're eating, it will just kind of glob into your stomach. the same, same thing, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Almost calcify in your stomach. And so that's something that you have to look out for, um, especially with me when I don't um, vomit. So I've been extra sensitive to that. But um, the worst thing I have, I have upper stomach ulcers. Yep. So And they, they like to bleed which is really fun when well, you're that, taking your kid out and all of a sudden you just have um, bloody vomit <laughs> at yep. a zoo or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Real great. <laughs> so, well, and that, and that, that kind of makes sense why you're more sensitive to certain foods as well. Cause those ulcers in your stomach are it's like one of the worst places to have them other than your actual mouth and your, your throat. Yep. So yeah. Yeah. People that have ulcers in their stomach, it's, you're a lot more reactive very quickly to food and certain things bother it a lot more. Yep. It's, it's almost like any 
thing that touches it, which explains why I have like, even with water, I get extra nauseous mm-hmm. um, because it touches it. It's already irritated. My stomach's already full and my well, stomach's yeah. like, uh-uh, you're nauseous now. <laughs> well, like yeah, and the water's, the water's taking that essentially stomach acid mix and pushing it up to the ulcer. Yep. So. And then when you take so many medications, because of all the other stuff that you've got going on, all of your medication sits there. And so it's kind of weirdly absorbed. Sometimes it goes mm. into the stomach. That explains um, why you need such a high dosage of prednisone because you're yeah. just not absorbing it like you yeah. normally would. So I ended up having to transfer to a lot of um, medications that were liquid. Luckily, it's liquid, not injectable. <laughs> uh, so that it would absorb differently into my stomach. Um, some of them I could like kind of... Uh, make into a liquid myself, crush the medication, turn into a liquid, but some of them I had to have pre-compounded. Yep. So for about seven years, I had lived with that and it was a roller coaster ride and I had several moves in between. That brings us up to relatively recently, actually, <laughs> where I, I ended up moving here three years ago almost four now. And I ended up going to a GI. That was the worst GI I've ever been to. Worst doctor I've ever been to. Uh, Walked in. He didn't have my, my medical records yet. I had them, you know, processing to send them over. I told him what was going on. I told him I was losing weight again. I was going through quite a bit of time without eating more than I was before. And, you know, I needed to, you know, help me. What do I do next? (laughs) And he goes, he looks at me and he talks about my symptoms and he goes, you don't have gastroparesis. And I was like, excuse me, I have had a gastric emptying study. I've had uh, endoscopy. I've like been tested. Like, I, I've had this diagnosis for years. He goes, no, you're just constipated. What I want you to go do is take some fiber and Miralax and come back to me if you still have issues. Like, no, are you kidding me? Like, first of all, fiber, no. (laughs) And Miralax, I don't want to just live on Miralax for the rest of my life because you think I'm constipated. Isn't there a reason for, you know, this issue, underlying issue, if if that's what you think? Like, it would be, it would be really nice to just not be constipated all the time if that's what you really think is the problem. And you didn't want to go past that. And I was I was upset. I'm a strong-headed person and I did not like that at all. And I went back to my doctor and I said, I'm never going back to a GI. I'll just try to figure out what's going on myself. Then everything went downhill and it went downhill fast within this last year. Yep. That's how it usually works. I, I ended up not being able to eat anything again, losing lots of weight. Uh, and I just, I was at a point where I couldn't lift my head off of the pillow kind of thing. Um, There was a moment where I had to go to the bathroom and because I had had no nutrition for so long, I was passing out, but I really needed to run to the bathroom. (laughs) So I went to the bathroom and my sink is pretty close to my toilet. And I fell, hit my head and cracked open a significant uh, part of my skull (laughs) right next to my eye. And I was pretty out of it at that time. So 
my husband and I, we, we live pretty close to uh, an urgent care, which is kind of that step down from emergency room. Cause I yep. didn't really want to go to an emergency room. Well, they're, they're just as good a lot of the time and they don't cost anywhere near as much. And right. I could, as far as co-pays go, they're like a, a regular doctor's visit. Yep. So that's kind of yep. nice. We got a lot of them around here too. <laughs> so I go to the urgent care. They take one look at me, realize that I'm not really responsive. And they, they send for an ambulance and they made me go to the hospital. And after, you know, chatting through what was going on, the doctor was like, I don't care what you have to do. You're going to go to a GI. Now I can't make you do it because I'm an ER nurse or ER doc, but go back to your doctor. Cause you are very sick. You're like on the cusp of, you know, dying. Your body's eating itself. And they've done that super yep. fun. Yeah. Zero out and of so 10 would I, not recommend. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I go to the doctor and I was like, I don't want to go back to this doctor. And apparently I'm just like pigeon told it toed into it because every time I call a different doctor, they're not accepting patients. What do I do? And she, she had connections. <laughs> so she was able to get me into the same practice, but with a different doctor who is amazing. At yeah. this point, it had been least a year, maybe two years since I had been there. And so uh, they, they were able to look at my medical records and realize that I wasn't lying about it. And they didn't even bother doing another gastric emptying study because it was so bad from the, the one that they had on file. Yeah. And that I was obviously presenting very, very bad symptoms. So they said, all right, we're going to, we're going to see what happens. We're going to, this is, this is your list of foods. I want you to try list of anything to get you, um, to keep you out of the hospital. Basically, we're going to see what we can do to maintain because you've already failed on all of these medications. I don't know what medication to try. Um, so th they did end up trying one with me that I just didn't work at all. It was the erythromycin again. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, okay, if this doesn't work, we're done. We, we're out of options. We already know that the gastric pacemaker isn't going to work for you, but we need to keep you alive. <laughs> so what are we going to do? We're going to give you a something called a GJ tube. So what it is, is it's a, a tube that goes through your stomach uh, to get you nutrition. So it's one big log tube that has two different tubes inside of it. So encased inside of it. One, one of those tubes goes up to your stomach. So it goes actually physically in your stomach, the very bottom of it. And the other one uh, goes in and then goes down to the first part of your intestine. So there, there are two lines that go in and one of them, I only put medication in and that one goes into my stomach because it needs to be absorbed differently than if it was to go into my intestine. The other one is where I get all of my nutrition. So like you said, the, the thick medication that smells like cat food, I have that. <laughs> yep. Okay. I was smiling when you, <laughs> you were talking about it. I'm like, yep, I get it, but I don't get it in my veins. I get it directly into my intestine, my, the upper part of my intestine. Got it. And I infuse that. I thought from all my research that I could infuse it, you know, fairly quickly. I could just kind of do like a blenderized food and put it in. But because it's going into my intestines, I can't. I have to have very pre-digested food um, that goes in and it really does smell absolutely disgusting. And there's a whole world of things that comes with having a, a feeding tube. Uh, you don't 
I didn't know what to expect. And they did a rush on this. So the doctor didn't really help me through what was going on. All he said was, okay, it's time. You're getting your feeding tube. You need to make an appointment and get in. And, you know, this is during COVID too. So, you know, there's lots of hoops to jump over. So I still had to wait an extra couple of days because I had to get a COVID test to prove I was, you know, not sick with COVID. Like and I'm dying, so, but I'm not that yeah, dying. Like, yeah, you're, you're dying, but you don't need to, but we still need to make sure that you're not. It's not a contagious dying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And they're like, in the meantime, if it gets worse, go to the hospital. And I'm like, so like, I'll go to the hospital and get a feeding tube that way. I'm so confused. Yeah. So normally with feeding tubes, when they were first trying it out, they do the NJ tube, which is a tube that goes down your nose into the back of your throat and through your stomach and then into your lower intestines. I had been past that point where they thought that was going to be effective. And they said, nope, we're just doing the full surgery. And so it's going right into your abdomen. So I was lucky enough not to have that because I've heard those are absolutely miserable and they're doesn't sound you know, fun. Yeah, it doesn't sound fun to have something at the back of your throat all the time. So luckily I've been through been past that. But I was also left, what do I do? Like I don't know how I get my nutrition. I don't know like anything about like my medical supplies. What am I gonna use? And my doctor kind of left me high and dry. All he did was send the order in for the to get the tube placed. And I'm like, so what do I do now? Luckily, like I said, I'm a very strong-willed person <laughs> and I don't let things go. So I called everybody and anybody I could think of. I called my primary care. I called um, that doctor probably like six times a day. <laughs> and then I also called my insurance because I wanted to make sure this was going to be covered and I wanted to see what they had. And luckily my insurance company, they have this amazing program where you get assigned a nurse when you have a chronic illness. And so this nurse was able to navigate everything for me. She was able to call uh, and figure out where I was going to get all of my supplies, what kind of nutritionist I needed, what kind of aftercare I needed. And so she was a lifesaver at that point. And so if people aren't like me and push and panic and call, like, what are you supposed to do? I talked to somebody the other day on Instagram who was going through something very similar. She's down to 90 pounds right now. I only got down to 115, which is still like for me, because I'm now taller and I've built up quite a bit of bone density <laughs> from yeah. all the stuff that I've got going on. I, I, you 115 know. at five, six is still yeah. skinny. Yeah. And, uh, yeah it's very I know. skinny. I My husband. At, I was at 105 <laughs> at five, seven and I was yeah. like a, a skeleton. Skeleton. Yeah. Yep. My husband showed me the pictures the other day. Cause we took a picture just before and I was like, wow, there, there was nothing on me. I was literally like dripping in skin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was, you know? I have a, I had, when I was in the hospital, the first time I took a picture in the mirror without a shirt on and I was just skin and bones. Yeah. There's nothing. Skin and bones. So. I remember people saying just from the, my facial pictures that, you know, I didn't look right. I looked like I was straight out of, you know, I don't know, living off the streets for years. The walking kind of dead. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's you, you You start to look like that. You start to look like, yeah, like the first yeah. episodes where it's like hollow. people are just, yeah, it's like your cheeks suck in. And, yep. yep. And it's amazing what a little bit of liquid will do because when you can't ingest any of that, like everything just sucks in. And, you, you know, when you check to see if you're dehydrated and you do the little pinch thing, like mine would just stay up for so long. Um, I still, I'm still pretty dehydrated like you can see when I do the pinch thing I don't know where's my oh yeah so it just kind of stays there for a little bit and then I have to push it down <laughs> so that's um 
that's a, a pinch on your, your finger <laughs> for our listeners. And uh, as yep. you can see, if you're dehydrated. Exactly. Yep. It goes, yeah, it bounces right. I'm, I try to stay hydrated. I, I'm not great at it. Even still, I probably will be given an extra port if mm -hmm. I am not able to. Because the only way for me to get water now is through my, my feeding tube. And it's not exactly recommended that I just add plain old water to it. Um, so there's, there's a certain amount that my intestines can take for absorption. And, you know, the primary goal is to have nutrition. So mm -hmm. I might have to get an extra port that will, that will run through to get, um, liquids in, in me. Luckily I have been okay. It's been about, let's see. So about six months now, since I've had the feeding tube, it's very That's new good. to me. I'm getting to the point where you're still like able to function, work, do it, be a mom. Yes. Thankfully it, it's been scary because during these times I had no energy. I couldn't be a mom. I, my husband did everything. He's, he's a great dad and it's just trying to figure out how to navigate being alive and doing those extra functions of, you know, housework or even cuddles with your little kid hard and that's i mean that's the thing that a lot of people don't understand and and i kind of talk about it because i mean i'm 27 and people i work with are older and they're like oh you know you married kids i'm like no like i have a chronic illness that's a that's a child on its yeah. own like i have to manage yeah. that that's that's like having a kid in a way <clears throat> because you're constantly yeah. doing you know dealing with that and trying to keep it under control and this if you have one and the occasional things that go along with it, let alone if you have, you know, a couple that you're dealing with. So it's, right. it can be challenging. It yeah. can be, it can be challenging. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of times with chronic illness, you have to put your health first. Otherwise you can't, like you're not functional. I worry about the mental impact on my son uh, a lot because he sees mommy sick and he gets it. He was really scared when I was going in and getting the tube he didn't know how this was going to affect me. I didn't know how was it going to affect me. Like, was I still going to be able to like hug him because you know yeah. he's short <laughs> and like I, it's around. How old is he? He is eight. He just turned eight. Okay. So he's to the age where you can kind yeah, of understand. Understanding. Yeah. yeah. But he started seeing me pass out and finding me on the ground. Um, I was still conscious, but I couldn't physically move. Yeah, just because like I had no lack energy of energy yeah. at all. So yeah, this no, poor if... thing, he finds me on the floor and he tries to give me CPR and he doesn't know how to do CPR. Now he's just seen it on TV. He's pushing on and, you. Yeah, he's just like he's trying to blow into my mouth and I like all I could do was kind of smile and say, you know, okay, you know, <laughs> get it out. Like, don't worry, baby. <laughs> Um, but I don't have enough energy to really communicate that well. So I'm just like laying there and he's trying to pump on my chest and like, it's really okay. <laughs> just play with me. It's not great, but I'll be okay. Yeah. Mommy's all right. So I, he's, he's to the point now where if he sees me, uh, pass out or, you know, even just have a, an episode of lightheadedness where I have to lay down, he's like, dad mom's down on the floor again 
like, and, mom's down mom's down yeah. <laughs> and so um, he doesn't like panic anymore it's just normal for us which i don't know how to feel about that you know i'm glad that it doesn't like traumatize him anymore but at the same time now he's living with that for the rest of his life not knowing what's going on i mean you can look at it this way he'll be a lot nicer to people that have chronic illnesses and disabilities that is true this kid oh my goodness i work in public health anyway and so he wants to be me when he grows up i don't know why <laughs> and he just so he's already extra compassionate because I, that's what we teach him you know we teach him about all the the public health stuff um my husband and i are very science-based people we both have um backgrounds in science of, of some sort he's astrophysics i'm biology and chemistry and he's he's just like very intelligent very well in tuned with all of these science-based ideas and yeah and medical stuff that he's just a good kid learning off that stuff you know oh no it's it's a, um, it's a good thing to good thing to know and good thing to be exposed to i was actually talking about this on a podcast i was on yesterday we were talking about a new movement that's coming out um we the 15 15 of the world that's oh. disabled um and that was one of the things we were talking about a little bit with education in the younger groups one because chronic illnesses and disabilities are affecting younger kids more often now mm -hmm. um but two because teaching them at a younger age, how they treat people that have chronic illnesses and disabilities is also affected by it. So we're talking kind of about the education on the younger side and, and how important it is. Cause uh, one of the ladies that went on there, she was actually a kindergarten teacher and she's Aww. disabled, she's in a wheelchair. So she does a lot of education and, and answers a lot of questions the kids have. And it's, mm. <clears throat> I think, you know, Unfortunately, if exposure means a family member has something, I think exposure is the way to kind of spread awareness around it. People that you're around and the younger it happens, I think the better because it's more normal. Yeah. It might be weird to deal with and their normal is a little different from, you know, an, an able-bodied person, but I think yeah, you're, you're that, a lot more empathetic because of it. You're a lot kinder. You're a lot more understanding. Um. Some of the things that I didn't realize while dealing with this severe of a chronic illness, one, showering can be extremely hard when you have no energy. I have fairly long hair. Uh, it goes down to, you know, the, the top of my bottom. <laughs> and that's just over, you know, COVID being not going to get a haircut or anything during that time because yeah, yes, beard. you have a you have a very nice beard. <laughs> I, I shaved my head and decided to grow my beard out at the same time. Some of the medication I was on, I, I was losing a lot of my hair, so I decided I was like, you know what, I'm just shaving it. Doesn't affect I the like face the at look. all. It works. It works. I like it. So it, it's really weird to go and take a shower and have to sit down. Or I remember coming out of the shower and going, my hair is just so heavy. You know, because when you have wet hair, yep, it's extra, you know, on your neck. And I would just, I would be exhausted for just having wet hair. And that, that's kind of a point where you're like, wow, this is just hit. I feel like I've hit rock bottom. I feel like I've hit death. Like yep. I'm knocking on their door. When yep. am I, uh, I remember that the first scary. time I was in the hospital. It's yeah. They, in the hospital, they put like the little, the little seat down so you can sit down. Yeah. Yep. It, it's a weird feeling because you're like, wait a second, what's going on here? 
you know, it, I think, for me, it was pretty quick. So it wasn't like a gradual work into it. It was, I'm going down and I'm going down fast. Yeah. I think if I remember, it's like the first week I was in the hospital, I literally had a bathing suit. I would take a shower in a bathing suit because I needed help because I didn't have the energy to like, they were worried about me passing out and the yeah. hospital shower is like all tile and stone. Right. With the metal, with the metal <laughs> last, support bars for people that need the support. Yeah. So last thing they want is for you to, you know, crack your head open on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dangerous. So yeah, I think yeah. I wore either would have like a pair of underwear or, or swimsuit that I would wear and have to like help. I'm lucky. Yeah, I did so not I have that. to have that. <laughs> I, I, I totally get that. Um, the other thing that I've had to deal with are the mental health issues around it. Because you know, first of all, having a chronic illness is, is hard for it's anybody. Great for your mental health. Yeah. <laughs> But a huge change in how you manage everything, like having a medical device implanted inside of you. And I now have to no longer physically eat. I do a little bit here and there because like you want to keep your mouth remembering what to do and you want your stomach to still try to digest food, but it's very little amount. Um, so like your food is all through your tube. That's, that's a huge change. And it's a huge mental change. Like I, I couldn't imagine I had that. to go through grieving a loss of my stomach, my ability yep. to eat. And that's something that like people don't understand is I literally lost something that's essential to life. It is a normal thing. You don't go to a restaurant and eat with your friends and family anymore. You can't. You just you sit, sit there. And luckily I have a bag now. So before it was, I went there and I just, you know, look like the abused wife <laughs> who wasn't allowed to eat. My husband <laughs> has talked about this one. He's oh, like, geez, it just, it's true. weird. Yeah. People look at you like I'm eating a pie and my wife isn't able to eat anything. Like, no, 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 she's not going to have anything. <laughs> and that's not what he wants it to come off as, but that's what it looks like, honestly. Yeah, like, nope, she can't have dessert. Yeah. Don't want her gaining any weight. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and now that's it's just, I, I have my I have my feeding tube, so it's a little bit more visible. It's more visible of a, an invisible illness, if that makes sense. Because I yep. can be like, oh, no, my, my food's in my bag. Oop. And, you know, if they want to ask a quick question, like, what do you mean? <laughs> I, got, like, I got a to-go bag. We're good. Yep, exactly. Like, I, I don't, I'm not actually bringing food into the restaurant, I promise. <laughs> just... So, yeah, because I've had that question before. Like, what do you mean you have food? You're not allowed to bring outside food. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. This goes directly into my stomach. <laughs> like, I have a... It's a food, it's a liquid yep. bag. Yep. <laughs> so that, that's been interesting. And that has been like a huge shift in perspective. And I did have to grieve that loss. And it, it's very odd to go through. Very yeah. Odd. I, mm. Yeah, I don't, it doesn't sound. And just it, the it, under. Oh, yeah. I, it it's already hard. sucks not eating a ton of stuff. Like a lot of stuff I can't eat anymore. I couldn't imagine just not eating at all. It, it's, do, it's weird. Do you ever get like hungry or? Yes. So especially if I go for days without, because all of my food goes through my lower intestine. So it never hits my stomach. So when I do have an empty stomach, you know, I do try to munch on things. So my diet is... <laughs> 
is all supplements. So anything that I ingest is bonus, as my nutritionist likes to say. So I've so that's where the popcorn I've, comes into play. Yeah. Got yep, it. Okay. I've, I've gained a little bit of weight. So um I've gained 15 pounds from my lowest, which is awesome, which is right on par where I want to be. So you're what, um, I'm still 130. 130. Yep. Yep. Okay. So I I feel good. Well, I'm you know, a, little, I, a little over what I want to be personally. <laughs> I, need to, I need to start working on that. But it's hard when you never know what you're going to be able to eat and what your weight's going to be. Yep. Um, so I, I am able to eat a little bit here and there, like the popcorn. And I really love graham crackers. So yeah, I can just sit there and it's weird. I just suck on graham crackers, like, like a lollipop. <laughs> so they're soft. I mean, well. so they're soft and soggy. <laughs> um, those, those kind of things. So I can eat some pasta, but that one definitely sits in my stomach. Um, rice, bananas, those kind of things. And it's kind of what I, what my body feels like accepting today. And it's never anything good. Well, <laughs> like <yeah>. popcorn. <laughs> I mean, popcorn's not, like I said, it, it, it has a very low caloric density. So it's not yeah. bad. I mean, you, per se. yeah, I mean, like, it's not like extra nutritious. No, no. Put it that way. But I mean, that's what, you, that's what your liquid cat food's for. Like that's, exactly. that's the nutrition. Exactly. Yep. My liquid cat food. Oh, it smells so bad. But oh, yeah. and then the, like dealing with a medical device. Okay. First of all, you never know because it's a, a chronic illness that you know, affects your body weirdly. If I'm going to need a mobility aid it, today, am I going to need my walker? Am I just going to be the kind of person that goes for a hike? Am I going to climb a mountain today? I literally, when I have energy, that's my fun thing to do. And well, yeah, you're in a really, really nice place to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And my, my husband's great about it. Like we go out and he goes, as soon as you think you need to turn around, you do it because don't push yourself too far because I will pay for it the next day. I will be absolutely exhausted and not be able to move. And sometimes yeah. it's several days, but it's worth it to me because I got to go out and I got to have an adventure that day. And I got to live life that day and, you know, actually be in it and not see it from my computer screen. Yeah. And yeah. That's something that you know, some people argue about in the chronic illness community as whether or not it's worth it. And me, I'm, I'm a spoonie. <laughs> I, I like the theory of the spoons. So like I have, you know, five spoons to spend. I'm going to spend them doing something I'm really excited to do. I'm not going to spend them doing housework if I don't have to. I'm going to go spend them taking a hike. You know? Yeah, I don't. Yes. I can't say I do a ton <laughs> of that stuff. Gr granted, now I just, I mean, most of my extra time goes to the podcast, so. Yeah. <laughs> but there's, there's, there's purpose behind that. So, and now I also am learning how to manage a, a medical device mm -hmm. because I didn't know how to do that before. There was a lot of trial and error in the very beginning. Granted, I'm only six months in, but there's still a lot of things that I had to learn and I had to learn them really quickly. I had to learn, I got, my tube was clogged a lot in the beginning, just a couple of days after I got it and I got home and I started using it, I was clogged. And that shouldn't have happened. And I was like, I'm doing everything right. I'm doing all my flushes. And I sat there for hours doing the, the Coke trick. So you take Coca-Cola and make sure it's bubbly because that's what kind of works. So bubbles in your um, intestine feels really weird, by the way. <laughs> it, it's 
it's not like gas it, it's it's like popping and it's really weird and painful <laughs> so you're pushing coke in there and it's not budging it's so frustrating and you don't know what you've done wrong and you feel especially during covid when the the hospitals are having such a difficult time with getting patients in and going in there and you see people that you know have severed a finger or you know are, are sitting yeah. there like crying in pain and you're like oh, i'm here just to, because my tube isn't working like right now it's not really an emergency but this is the only place i can go because it's not something i can buy at a pharmacy yep and so you have to sit there for hours just so you can be seen and then they have to try to and unblock the tube with some digestive enzymes that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't and you're there for hours for that to work and you feel like you failed because you don't know what you're doing yep, and some you, new it, experience that you're, yeah. you're learning yeah and you come to find out it's nothing you did wrong for me it was trial and error and mine kept clogging and it was because my stomach couldn't tolerate overnight feeds i wanted to have the freedom of getting up and walking around without a feeding tube backpack so i would feed at night all of the all of my feeding tube stuff would go in overnight and it was a little bit uncomfortable because one of the things you have to remember is you have to sit up in bed um not at least a 35 degree thir 30 degree angle um because if you don't then what can happen is because i have such a motility issue it can backflow into your stomach and then go up and you can end up choking and dying on it so you have to be very careful at night yeah it's not ideal no so i ended up learning that not only could my my motility was extra slow at night so i couldn't like bump up the the amount of food i got but i couldn't do it because i would get clogs my mm -hmm. body would get too hot at night and so it would heat up the the food and i would essentially be cooking it inside of the tube because they couldn't pump it fast enough yeah so that's why I kept getting clogged. So now I only feed during the day. Um, I'm not feeding right now, but I will soon. <laughs> and, you know, I carry around backpack and I'm not, I'm not shameful of it. Some of the things that people think are like, I want to hide this. I don't care. Here's, here's my viewpoint on that. Cause I talk about it a lot with mental health. Nobody's ever going to think or say anything worse than I've thought to myself in the past. Yep. So agreed. So I, I went care. like, <laughs> I went recently <laughs> to a the Great Wolf Lodge. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but yep. it's basically like a water park. I think, I think we got one somewhere around here. My, I wanted, we were celebrating my son's birthday and I was really gung-ho at being able to go. And for me, I can't wear a one-piece bathing suit because I have this medical device. And so, you know, part of me wants to hide it, um, but it's going to be painful for me. So I had to wear a two-piece if I wanted to go in and I did. And I was like, go ahead, everybody see my feeding tube. Like it, I have what's called a dangler. So it has about uh, eight inches of tube that comes out of me at all times. And mm -hmm. then I just hook up to another tube when I put my feed in. Um, there are ones that are low profile called buttons, which I'm trying to get right now. But um, again, thanks to COVID, I am not able to get that elective surgery. Yep, gotta wait. <laughs> yeah, I gotta wait till there's something wrong with this one to, to get a new one. So, so, but you know, it was, it was also a moment of freeing, like, okay, I don't care if anybody sees this. You know, I had it out in the open, people looked at me, but nobody 
like looked at me quizzically, which I expected. It was just like, oh, I see it. Let's not a big deal. And yeah. that was freeing. That was like a beautiful moment where I was like, okay, nobody really cares. Like, ah, this is great. Yeah. And I'm the kind of person where if you ask a question, I'm going to tell you. I'm an open book always. And most people are like, you can ask, but be very careful. You might not like the answer you get. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be factual. My best, <laughs> my best friend, uh, she, I work with her and she's amazing. She also has a chronic illness. She has RA and some other things. And we just talk about our chronic illnesses back and forth and where our, where our support systems and yep. we talk about those weird things where like people ask questions and you're like, yeah, you did. You don't want to know the answer because it's going to be graphic. I'm going to give you details. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I get, I get that with colitis because it's a digestive yep. thing. Yep. I'm like, oh yeah, no, I just got colitis. I'm like, what's that? I'm like, I got a broken butt. <laughs> going to keep it. That's going to be as simple of an answer as you get. If you want to know more. <laughs> that's that fantastic. Mean? And I do weird butt stuff with my doctor. Like that's. <laughs> Get a little bit, a little bit of humor in there. Vague, vague, dark sense of humor. Oh, um, I like that. <laughs> that way it's like, look, this is the can of worms you're going to open up if you ask any more questions. Here's, here's where we draw the line. So right. you'll get answers if you ask. <laughs> That's just your precursor. You probably yep. don't want to ask them. Yep. If you, <sighs> if you don't want to get the nitty gritty, like for me, um, one of the things that I have with my feeding tube is they tell me that I have to burp it burp my feeding tube and I'm like what the heck does that mean nobody explained what that meant like I just assumed <clears throat> that you know if, just like if you have gas in your stomach and you burp you it needs a different way out so now instead because I have a tube in my stomach okay just open it up and it it will make like a burping sound or something right no burping is different burping is releasing bile oh oh, oh. oh. <laughs> yes I have never seen so many weird colors come out of me in my life. I've had to learn what the difference between a, a bile color is and an infection color is, and it is very close. Oh boy. <laughs> and so like, I will sit there and my burping, I usually do through my J tube. So when it comes out, I'll just sit there and just let the J tube run and like bile will just come out. I don't have a gallbladder, so it's even worse. <laughs> so it just sits there and it just runs out like a faucet and I'm like, okay gonna be done anytime soon and that stuff it's the weirdest smell it's it's not like a bad smell but it's also not a good smell it's just not great yeah exactly <laughs> and like I've had to learn like now that I have this hole in my stomach that has a tube there's something called um oh, what is it granulation so your body tries to close up the hole mm -hmm. and so the the tissue just grows out and so it's like all like gooey like it's always trying to form a scab and then since it's in my stomach bile will, will and will come out as well with and seep through it oh it's so gross so I have to get these things called tubi pads to put okay. around it to absorb everything and you know this is something that you have to learn and nobody tells you when it first happens and I so as soon as somebody says they might be getting a feeding tube I'm like okay Let's talk about this. <laughs> oh, I got this. I'm new to Here's this field, but I have learned so much. You, yeah. you should make like a whole like website and checklist. People can just I like know. go down. Oh. You're getting a feeding tube. What do you need to do next? <laughs> what do you need to know? Step one. Step two. <laughs> Call your doctor and make sure you've got set up <laughs> with food. <laughs> yep. 
like they're putting the tube in but what's yep. going to go in the tube that's the important oh. part and you know they didn't even tell me so they said it's a, a one-day procedure like you go in and because mine is a gj they have the surgery and you, they have to track it using um x-ray to make sure that they're going into the right part and if it was just a g button um they wouldn't have to worry about it they just like stick it stick it through your stomach and you can change it out like in an office it's really weird but me i always have to go in for surgery so i'm sorry oh no you're good <laughs> they, you're good they um they didn't tell me that it was just a day procedure so i go in and then all of a sudden my blood sugar is just not going up because i was malnourished for so long and my blood pressure is like tanking so they can't get that to come up so i had to be admitted for two nights and then they said like part of that was because i was my body wasn't functioning anymore and part mm. of it was because i had to learn about something called refeeding syndrome which means that if you don't go for a certain amount of time without if you go for a certain amount of time without eating and then you start eating again um, your body starts to leach all the nutrients that it is getting. Um, so in addition to the nutrients that you're putting into your body, it leaches extra. And so then you can, you know, tank that way. So mm -hmm. it is terrifying. So I had to be in the hospital to monitor for refeeding syndrome. Luckily I didn't have it because that sounded scary. <laughs> lots of, lots of extra steps. So that is my story. There's well, so much going on and, very you know, I, I probably could tell more, <laughs> but those, a, those are my chronic illnesses. <laughs> I get all the rare, rare ones on here. So, That's which good. is, which is cool. Cause I get to learn about them. Um, and yeah, I learn a lot that a lot of people, but no, I, I, I appreciate you coming on and sharing. Yeah, this was fun. This was nice because it felt like a dump of everything that's been going on. Because yep. sometimes when we talk about it, we talk about one thing specifically, and then we'll talk at length about that one thing that's happened. It's kind of nice to have a big overview, Just overview of, everything of everything that's happened yep. in the 37 years of life. <laughs> you know? Good point. To... Thank you guys for stopping by and listening to the podcast. I appreciate everyone. Make sure you guys stop and check out chronicliving.info. Got a new website up and running that's going to be the main area to find all the social media content as well as accounts to so make sure you guys stop by if anyone's looking to share their story volunteer either time or experience there's also going to be some links on there of how you guys can get involved as always i appreciate you guys and i'll see you in the next one